You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's September 27th. U.S. Army Sergeant Kurt Power was ready to serve his country when he volunteered to deploy to Iraq in 2005. He was ready to endure some of the war's most dangerous combat. He was even ready to take the sniper's bullet that nearly killed him. But when Power arrived safely back in the U.S. one year later, 11 pieces of shrapnel still lodged in his chest, he realized that he wasn't ready to survive civilian life. Quote, I got hit with something I'd never felt, and that was fear. I never expected I would make it, so I never thought I'd have to be the person I was before the war. My family all expected me to be him, and that person no longer exists. I'm not the same, and I felt like I didn't belong here anymore. Power's physical injury had healed, but he had other invisible wounds that ran deeper. His experience is not uncommon. According to Rand Research, one in five veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan experience post-traumatic stress disorder or major depression. Roughly half of veterans who need treatment for these conditions seek help. And among those who do receive treatment, only slightly more than half get minimally adequate care. That's because vets often face a winding path to recovery. They have to navigate a tangled web of providers that often fails to consider the unique needs of veterans, as well as treatment options that may fall short when it comes to quality. But there is hope. Effective treatments are available. And a growing body of RAND research shows that veterans who receive high-quality care have the best chance of improving their mental health outcomes. Fortunately, that was Power's experience. He sought help, was diagnosed with PTSD, and received evidence-based care. It took him only one appointment to start feeling better. And by six months, he felt like he had recovered. Today, Power feels better than ever. He's thriving as a detective in Boston's Youth Violence Strike Force, where he works to reduce gang violence. And in his free time, Power does his part to bridge the gap between other veterans and high-quality treatment by opening up about his experience at speaking engagements. You can read more about his story at rand.org. And you can also browse findings and resources from Rand's research on the topic, including insights on how to help more veterans get the care they need. America's stance toward China has shifted under the Trump administration. While most observers agree that the U.S. needed to recalibrate its policy, Washington's current approach may be unlikely to advance U.S. competitiveness or enlist much international support. That's according to Rand's Ali Wine and James Dobbins. The pair recently wrote a commentary that outlines five key concerns with how the U.S. is confronting China. Most notably, the administration has not explained what it ultimately hopes to accomplish. According to Wine and Dobbins, this could contribute to an open-ended conflict with China, with no measurable indicators of progress. And ultimately, this may increase the risk that America will, quote, focus more on a highly improbable quest to contain China than on an eminently achievable effort to renew itself. In many countries, the price of a prescription drug is informed by the value that drug brings to the table. In other words, what benefits a drug offers relative to its price. This, however, is not how it works in the U.S., where spending on pharmaceuticals is often much higher. Instead, each insurer assesses the value of drugs, then negotiates prices on its own. 
According to Rand's Andrew Mulcahy, this results in a fragmented, shifting, and opaque patchwork of coverage decisions, not to mention variation in the net prices for drugs. This year, many lawmakers have introduced plans to tackle the problem. Several of these proposals recommend looking to other countries to set drug prices in the U.S. Using pricing from overseas to set drug prices here could offer a relatively quick solution to lower pharmaceutical spending, says Mulcahy. In fact, the U.S. could potentially save billions by adopting value-based prices from other countries. But several questions remain about this strategy. How would a price be set, for example, when a particular drug isn't sold in another country? And how would U.S. drug manufacturers respond? Still, offshoring drug prices could be the best way for the U.S. to get a good deal on prescription drugs in the short term. And ultimately, it could help achieve a decades-long goal for the American healthcare system, aligning what we spend on drugs with value. In a new Q&A, Rance Kara Sims addresses sexual harassment in today's workplace and how this issue might change in the future. Looking at how sexual harassment has evolved, Sims says that there are two main differences between today and the early 90s, when Anita Hill helped move the conversation into the national spotlight. First, there's more discussion about the daily low-grade behaviors that contribute to environments in which harassment is seen as acceptable. There's also more conversation around how you have to pay attention to these behaviors, stopping negative tendencies before they develop. Second, there's been a broadening of the conversation about sexual harassment to include industries that often receive less attention, like fast food service, for example. So the way we talk about and address harassment in the workplace is improving, says Sims. But unfortunately, the underlying societal cause of sexual harassment, that women are still not quite seen as equal, remains. You can learn a lot more from Sims, including whether machine learning and big data could help deal with sexual harassment in the future, on the RAND blog. The disposition and decision to fight, to keep fighting, and to win in a military conflict is known as the will to fight. This is arguably the most important factor in war. Why? Because with few exceptions, all wars, and almost all battles, are decided by matters of human will. A new RAND research brief explains why understanding this concept is so crucial. It has across-the-board importance in war. Will to fight is essential for building military teams, designing tactics and strategies, planning military operations, assessing and engaging allies, analyzing adversaries, reducing risk, and carrying out successful operations. Will to fight matters most for force-on-force combat, but it's also important for routine military activities and national policy. Unfortunately, as the focus on technology increases, the essentially human nature of war is all but ignored. RAND researchers have laid out a path to help fill this dangerous gap in American military practice, and to better understand the will to fight. Teacher pay raises are a good thing. They provide some relief from the financial stress that many educators feel. But small salary increases aren't enough to advance teaching as a lifelong profession with opportunities for promotion. Rand's Julia Kaufman wrote last week about another way to support teaching as a career, as evidenced by her recent study of education reform in Louisiana. In recent years, the state has focused on fostering leadership among teachers and developing direct lines of communication with educators. This is helping to elevate teachers' voices, not just their salaries. 
Efforts like these are more likely to make a difference, says Kaufman, because they provide teachers with a clear career ladder. And they may also help cultivate a teaching force that is providing students with instruction they need to succeed. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. See you next week.